Welcome back to Thank You Snowboarding, the podcast that is dealing with UK snowboard culture, past and present, and in association with the Snowboard Asylum, very good folks at the Snowboard Asylum that look after this podcast, and rightly so. They've been looking after snowboarders for a long time, and so it's great that they look after us here too. Right, we're here in Larks. Uh, we're doing a very live episode there's going to be no editing, so we get what we get. Um, we're here in Larks at the Larks Open, chatting to lots of people, and this week's guest has just driven nine hours from Borg St. Maurice to come for a day of shredding and to do his episode. And he is one of a very old friend of mine, and I'm so pleased to have spent a day with him. And we're enjoying a beer and we're going to get into his pathway through snowboarding. And it's important that Rob's on the podcast this week because over his time of running his company, The Cool Bus in Borg St. Maurice, he has afforded so many snowboarders the opportunity to do a season and to drive his vans. And I would say he's one of those people that inspires people to do their best around him. I've certainly, and we'll get into this, but certainly his staff in the past have stood by him through thick and thin, and it's because he's quite an inspirational guy who treats people with a lot of respect and a lot of care, and it's because of that they've stood by him. And so it's an absolute pleasure to welcome this very live version of the podcast this week with Rob Forbes. Hello. Hey Rob, how are you doing? Very good, thanks. How's today been? Let's talk about today. We've been shredding. It was amazing, yeah. I was. I didn't have high hopes, to be honest. I no, thought we, we were just going to be bashing hard pieces all day, but actually we had some, found some decent powder. Um, good crew, really good crew. Really great crew. And wound the day up with uh, trying to chase Tom Wilmot down the mountain, <laughs> which is no mean feat. For, uh, for you don't know, Tom Wilmot is going to be a guest on soon as well. We're trying to interview him while we're out here. He is the coach of the New Zealand ski and snowboard team, if that's the right word to use. And we uh, took some laps with him this afternoon, and he knows the area a bit better than us. So he sort of showed us some spots that we hadn't hit up. And we got proper punter power. We've been punters today, haven't we? We've been like <laughs> proper punters. Yeah, you even had to stop and adjust your bindings halfway through the day. How did you feel about being a punter for a day? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, it was great. Great resort as well. It is a great resort. Yeah, um, very different to Lazark. Um, yeah. And it's actually raining in Lazark today, so it was good to be here and get some good turns in, for sure. Just for a bit of context, Rob drove over yesterday, slept in his car last night, nine hours from Borg, drove over, slept in his car, met us this morning to go snowboarding. We've snowboarded all day. He's going to sleep in his car tonight and drive nine hours back to Borg tomorrow. That's the... <laughs> Stuff of fucking legend. <laughs> Straight in there with swearing. I like it. It's going to be less sweary than probably the last one, but there will be a bit of swearing this week. All right, let's get into it. So, how did you get into that? You mentioned earlier that you were like a ski tech at Hemel Dry Slope when you were aged 11. Yeah, well, it kind of starts with canoeing, really. When I started senior school, uh, 10 years old. Um, a couple of the kids in our class had signed up for the school canoeing club. Yeah. So I decided I wanted to get involved in that. Had you done that before? No, or maybe a little bit, but 
once or twice, but um, yeah, got right into it. Um, started going out with the club, training a couple of times a week. Um, and then the direction of the club was towards Canoe Slalom, which is racing down rapids through um, gates and stuff. Yeah. Um, so started going to races and then wasn't long before I found that I needed a little bit of extra cash to buy myself some kit and go to races and pay entry fees and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, and the guy who ran the canoeing club was also part owner of a ski shop in Hemel Hempstead. Cool. So, uh, Snowcap, Capital Sports. Okay. Um, and he offered me a job, yeah, fixing skis on Saturdays and Sundays in the, in the workshop around the back of the and you shop. you were how old? I would have been 11 when I started doing that. <laughs> Fucking child labour then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I could probably get... hourly rate at that point? I'd get 20 quid for a day. 20 quid for a day? Yeah, I could probably do. I could probably smash through a dozen pair of skis. They wouldn't let me do the base grinding, understandably. No, no, fair enough. But waxing, That's... filling holes, yeah. and that sort of thing. That was, that was okay. Even, would you believe, we used to rent skis out of that shop for people going on holiday to the Alps. Right. It makes no sense these days, does it? Why would you rent would skis you rent in Hemel Hempstead yeah. to, go, to go to the Alps? But the we used to do that as well. Um, so, yeah, it was through the shop that I got into skiing yeah. first. Um, the first skiing holiday was to Abbey Moor, I think, 1985 probably. Um, okay. That was uh, an Easter trip. Hard to believe now, but it was, yeah, Easter, had, you could ski all the way down to the car park no in Cairngorm. It was blazing sunshine, got burnt every day. Yeah. Um, just perfect conditions. So you went up there with your folks? No, this was with the, kind of the canoeing club and the, the guys from the ski shop as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that was my first skiing holiday. And then I went on to do a few more with them. Um... I mean, the fact that we could get take rental skis from the shop, yeah. they, had, they had rental clothes as well, and right. so that kept the cost down. So I'm, I think my first sort of three or four skiing holidays were all in Scotland, really. Went to all the five, five Scot- Scottish resorts, is that right? Yeah. Was it Glenshee, Glencoe? Fort William and Lect yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, and then a couple of holidays in the Alps and then not long after my dad decided that he quite fancies going getting into skiing as well right. he was a windsurfer he's like right there's a bit of a common thread with windsurfing oh, yeah? in some of these episodes yeah okay. windsurfing was bigger than I maybe ever really thought I didn't really know about it but yeah. it's been mentioned a few times I think windsurfing is actually a bigger deal than yeah not so much these days I guess but yeah back then I think kite surfing is probably you surfed windsurfing hmm. a little bit, hasn't it? Because it's probably cheaper to do. So we went on a couple of skiing holidays in my, as a family. Yeah. Um, with a company called Club Cantabrica, who were based, luckily, only about two miles down the road from us. I went on one of their trips Did to Andorra in their co- on a coach. Yeah, Takes exactly. Like yeah, yeah. fucking 24 hours. Yeah. And it's just so long. Yellow and blue coach. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'd, for- I'd forgotten I'd done that. So they, they were, their coaches set off on the A41 about two miles from where my mum and dad live, basically. Yeah. So that was a skiing holiday with them. And because my, 
my mum wasn't interested in skiing, but my dad and my sister were beginners. Um, so on those trips, I would end up, by then I'd done five, six weeks of skiing, so yeah. I was quite handy. Yeah. So I'd go out with the ski guide and the other intermediate skiers in the chalet. Um, but so that I could actually spend some time with my family, it's like, well, this is the perfect time to try snowboarding. Yeah, I'd seen snowboards around. In fact, thinking about it, the first time I handled a snowboard, I reckon it was in the ski shop. Some guy brought a snowboard in to be serviced. I think it was probably Rob Needham's snowboard. And he came in, I, I mean, Come this on. is kind of what I figured out afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and he came into the shop to pick it up yeah. afterwards. It was this snowboard, it was covered in skateboard brand stickers. Yeah. Um, and I remember him like, explaining the whole sport of snowboarding to the shop owners and stuff. That's incredible that this could be Rob Needham. <laughs> I think let's, it might let's be. Let's believe I think that it, it is be. Rob Needham. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'd seen snowboards around, um, and I fancied having a go at that, so that was a perfect opportunity on holiday with my parents, so I could go. So got did the, probably the usual thing in those days, got a snowboard with hard boot bindings. He's my yeah. ski boots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah with yeah. probably a couple of inches of toe and heel overhang on. Yeah, and, uh, that's what I had. Yeah. And then just had a go and tried to figure it out for myself. Like you Amazing. did in those days, I guess. You didn't... Wasn't well, there really... wasn't really any entry to it, was there? Like, it, it was... You sort of had to figure it out yourself. Like, when I first went to Alpe d'Huez... Yeah. And took skis, but then I was like, I know I'm definitely going to try snowboarding. And it was exactly that, like, ski boots, hard boot bindings, and just fall over. Yeah. Just try and figure it out and look at other... You know, I saw one guy, and I think he had a pair of those, like, Kelly tongues, you know, like, he had some Burton... And I was like, this guy's fucking cool because he's got <laughs> he's actually got good kit yeah and you just watch them and try and like figure it out yeah and so yeah it sounds like a similar thing yeah yeah so yeah that first that first holiday I think I did one day yeah on a snowboard and the next year we went again and then I think I did three days then right three days skiing three days snowboarding um and then so it's probably about I guess 17 then just finished my A-levels, not yep. got the results that I was hoping to get, to get in, onto the course <laughs> I was hoping to get on. So decided to take a year out um, and I decided that I wanted to go and learn snowboarding basically. Right. So I wrote a few, strangely at the time, it, the, the idea of going to the Alps didn't even occur to me. Really? So when I was thinking about trying to learn snowboarding, was, the first thing I did was apply for some jobs in Scotland. Because that's where I've done most of my holiday. No way. So I wrote a few letters, um, and Nevis Range came back to me and said, yeah, we've got a job for you. Well, no, actually, to be fair, first they asked me out for an interview. Yeah. So I got the train all the way up to Fort William and went, went for an interview. <laughs> um, I think they were impressed just by the fact that I the made the effort made to even effort. get yeah, out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they offered me a job. So I went up there, aged 18, um, so yeah, I went up to Nevis Range with skis and boots in the back of my car, um, but then quite soon I made friends with a guy who worked in the ski hire place, and on my days off, if it got to like 10 o'clock and the snowboard, the only snowboard they had in the, sh in the shop hadn't been rented out, it's like, well, you might as well just take it. Like, 
What board was that? Do you remember? It was Burton, but I'm not sure what the model was. But uh, what did it look like? White. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I've got. Brilliant. <laughs> um, so yeah, this guy would lend me lend me a board, and then I probably did I don't know a couple of weekends riding this board, and then another friend of mine, Nikki, who I'm still friends with, who works on the lifts up there, um, sold me her old Burt board, Burton Air. Yeah. With like the you know the old three clip bindings. Oh, what were they? Burton Flex, is it? Burton Maybe? Flex, yeah, that's yeah. it, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I bought that off her. Um, and this is in the day, I don't know if you know Nevis Range at all, but... Oh, do you know what? I've never been to the Highlands. Oh, really? Never been. I know, that's it's outrageous. disgraceful, isn't outrageous. it? Outrageous, yeah. Um, so in those days, all the, mount, all the lifts were on the front side of the mountain. Mm-hmm. Now there's a lift on the back side of the mountain, but, but back in those days, the back side was just all completely off-piste. Right. And yeah, it's an amazing days riding riding around there and we got we'd get free passes to go to Glencoe as well which is only like half hour drive away so we'd go ride in there at weekends as well yeah um and that got me sort of getting get the turns in. in and stuff yeah 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 um and then so I guess because we're we're pretty much the same age you probably were a year older than me like a year school year ahead older. of me in school mm. So if you're leaving after your A-levels, that would be the season before that I went to Valdezere. So okay. Yeah. I'm just trying to get the sort of timeline clear in my head. Like yeah, 92, 93 yeah. would have been your yeah. first season then. Or that, when you were working up in Scotland. Yeah. I didn't know any of this. How did I not know any of this? Well, this is what we're sitting now to talk about. I know, it's mental, <laughs> isn't it? How long have we known each other? I don't know you did a fucking season in Scotland. Yeah, yeah. Working on the chairlift, on the uh, goose tea bar, on the goose chairlift. <laughs> yeah, it was good times. I bet it was. Yeah, made some good friends up there. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, so that was that. Um, next, so then I went to college in Grimsby, of all places. Which that is seat, that, that esteemed seat of learning, Grimsby. Yeah. Famous. <laughs> famous. What did you go there for? Well, I actually... Because I was still kind of semi into canoeing in those days. And I had this idea that I would probably carry on canoeing. Um, and what you did was you went and studied sports science at, at university. That's just what people did. Yeah. Um, and Nottingham was a place to do that. Yeah, because there's a white water yeah, course yeah, yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, I did know that. Um, but the course I wanted to do, which is just an HND in, in sports science, was um, franchised out to Grimsby. So... Okay. That's where I ended up. That's where you ended up. But I had a good time there, and that's where I met my wife. I met so your wife there. Yeah, I didn't no know complaints. That. Yeah. <laughs> but shout out Della Forbes, obviously. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the course was sports science, administration, and coaching. So part of the course was you had to do some coaching qualifications, mm-hmm. and they were the college was offering like badminton coaching lessons and things like that. Yeah. Not, not, nothing I was particularly interested in. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I said, well, can I go and do a snowboard instructor's course? And like, well, yeah, okay, we'll give you 150 quid towards that. Go off and do it. Where did 150 quid get you? I mean, it paid half the course fees or something like that. Yeah. The course was in Glen Shee. Uh, the old, 
so this would be the old BSA. So it was the BSA running these courses. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, BSA was it called BSA Grade Three Snow okay. Instructors Course? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the instructor was Brian Will, who was a amazing instructor. Taught I've me never loads. heard that name before, but shout out Brian if you're out there. Yeah. Um, I think they said on the course you had to have something like twelve weeks of snowboarding experience. Yeah. Um, when I was working in Nevis Range, I'd like if you're working on the mountain, you could instead of taking your lunch break, you could just go snowboarding for for an hour. Yeah. So I I I included all those as one day. If you added all those up, then yeah, I just yeah, about yeah, got yeah. to 12 weeks. So yeah. I was basically the shittest person on, on the course <laughs> when I turned up. Um, but I learned so much. Um, there was 10 people in the course and only six of us passed. And yeah, he said at the end, is like, yeah, you were the most improved on the course and okay. learned loads from it. Well, just learned to ride properly, basically. Yeah, 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 of course. I mean, sort of instructing side was one thing, but just learning how to carve properly and... Um, yeah, learnt loads, and that was... So why did you ever think about becoming a snowboard instructor? Off the back of that. I mean, I had to do it as part of the college course anyway, Yeah. but I also thought this, this might be a way for me to go out to the Alps and uh, earn a living, potentially. Yeah, except the French. Well... The French aren't I mean, I mean, we know this that now. game, are they? We know this now, yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, after that, m- me and Della, who were, we were now a couple by this point, uh, we finished college. I mean, the idea originally was I would do an H and D and then go on to do a degree, but yeah. I was already over learning by that point. That was so that not, wasn't gonna that happen. was not the path yeah. for you, was it? Clearly, <laughs> clearly wasn't the path for but, you. So I suggested to Della, why don't we go out to the Alps and try and work work. A winter out there. Yeah, she had A level French, so seemingly quite easy for her to get a job. Yeah. and I had this snowboard qualification, so amazing. It must be easy to get a job in France yeah, with a yeah, snowboard yeah. qualification, right? Turned out that wasn't wasn't really the case. But we got. I bought an old beaten up um, short wheelbase Transit, yeah. converted it to a camper van, yeah. and then we set off to the Alps to seek our fortune. Right, so. Given that you've just mentioned a van, I think we need to, like, what's, there's definitely something in your life about vehicles and going places. Have you ever thought about, well, like, that is thing, that? like, where does that come from? Do your parents, you know, is, like, your parents sort of, like, mechanical and stuff? Like, where, where does that? No, I wouldn't say that in particular. I don't know. I mean... Because even now, like we were talking on the chairlift today about like when you sort of drove, like all your holidays, they're driving holidays. You yeah. drove up the west coast of America and you drove to Uzbekistan and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like you've got a driving thing. Maybe we'll mm. circle back to that. Mm. But it's definitely a thing. It is. I don't know where it comes from. I did, I guess when I was a teenager, we did go on quite a lot of family holidays and road trips and stuff. But right. yeah. Maybe it's from that, I don't know. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we set off to the Alps to try and... So what year was this? 95. Well, December 95. Okay, 95, 96 season. Yeah. Okay, and where did you end up? 
Went to Borg Samaries first. I should mention, actually, which I haven't mentioned before. Um, through canoeing, I'd already been on holidays to Borg Samaries. Okay, for the, uh, for the listener who doesn't know, which is probably everybody, there's a, a canoeing course yeah. on the river there, isn't there? They, they manage the river. So it's actually a sort of well-known place for canoers to go. So then it makes complete sense that you would go there as a thing because you knew it already or at least knew of it as a place to... Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, it was a big deal, especially in the 80s, 80s right. and 90s. It was like one of the best courses okay. in the world. I didn't know that. They had world championships there in some sort of middle of the 80s. We uh, have had loads talk- of World Cup races if, there. If nothing else, we have to talk about when you gaffer take the end of your canoe up and went, and went in... <laughs> Should we talk about that now? We... <laughs> what, when I tried to rekindle my love for canoeing? Yeah, weren't you going to... Um, wasn't it a thing that you could actually go to the Olympics? Or, like, there was the possibility that you could have trained to become an Olympic canoeist? Well, the, yeah, the guy that I... <laughs> the, guy, <laughs> the guy that I used to canoe with, who was also into my school, so we did... Canadian doubles which is so you've got one canoe with two people sat in it kneeling up with a single bladed paddle each yeah yeah. so we raced together as juniors and went to the junior world championships came fourth in the junior world championships not bad yeah Um, but we were he's a year younger than me so when I was no longer a junior I was like well we'll just you you know you do it on your own for a bit yeah Um, and then never really came back to it but yeah there was a point where we talked about maybe getting getting the, t- getting getting the, band, the band back, back together, together. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it never happened it was it was just a, a passing thing yeah so then what led you to gaff like because there was a canoe and you had to cut the end off was it like carbon fiber or something and you had to cut the end off to get it in a van to drive <laughs> it out to the alps and then yeah. for some reason you thought right i'm gonna i'm gonna have a crack at this course yeah, do you know, I completely forgot about the that. End the, up. The, 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 cutting the end off bit. <laughs> I've totally forgotten about that, yeah. yeah. It was just a little bit too long to be in the back of a van. <laughs> so I just cut the end off. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I did try and rekindle my love for canoeing, but I nearly drowned and decided it wasn't for me. It was a short-lived. <laughs> I mean, like I say, that, that course in Borg is, is a big, it's proper white yeah. water. Like, it's one of the most challenging courses in the world it's still. Um, they don't have races there so much these days because well it's because now it's in the Olympics every time there's um, Olympics they build a brand new artificial course for it so mm-hmm. that, that, those are the courses now that get used for the World Cup races instead of the old natural courses which is a shame but that is a shame yeah back to snowboarding though hmm. so this first attempted season in the house yeah. and Della so, in the van so we went to Borg Summaries first because yeah. I knew I knew the place are um, you aware of because it's possibly at that time that like Kenty Stu Brass no, were not all, all down there doing, no. like you know living down there you weren't aware of that at all no I mean I think we got to Borg because prob- we thought we'd get out there early try and find jobs but we were probably there before the season started yeah um I remember I went into a shop in 1800, it was Arc 1800, and there was a sign saying, we're looking for 
snowboard instructors and went in. It was really nice, really friendly guys. So, okay, yeah, well, that might work. You, you should go, but I'm not sure about your qualification. You yeah. should go and speak to the French Ski Federation, which is what probably... That'd be the ESF, wouldn't it, surely? It wasn't the ESF. But anyway, go and speak to them. Yeah. Uh, but sure enough, they said, no. What is this? This isn't worth shit. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of it. It might be signed by Eddie <laughs> Spearing, but this doesn't mean fuck all over yeah, here. Exactly it. <laughs> so that was the end of that little dream. Oh man. <laughs> but I was determined to stay. Uh, we had a camper van anyway. So. Yeah. Um, so we ended up going back to Marybelle for some reason. I'm not sure why. Um, and Della stuck around till sort of. I think till New Year's actually. I remember. Her, um, having New Year's Eve there with her, and then she hadn't managed to find a job. Tried a few different places. I had managed to find a job, so she flew back home, and then I just stuck it out for the rest of winter in the back of this transit van. Again, I didn't know that. And I did in Maribel. Yeah, I did a whole winter season on seven hundred quid, and that includes the, 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 the ferry and the petrol to and no from. No way. Yeah. yeah, I didn't have a lift pass. This is in the days before lift passes with chips on and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so I would just go up at lunchtime, because obviously in those days you'd have two people working on a chairlift, one's checking passes, the other one's loading people on and off. At lunchtime, there'd only be one person, so I'd always go up at lunchtime and then make sure I said hello to lifties every time I got on until they got so to they know my face. So they just you're a local. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh so I did a whole winter without a lift pass. No way. Yeah. I didn't know any of this. Yeah. That's fucking insane. <laughs> I, think, I mean, I think it lasted to the end of March. Um, in the back of a transit? Yeah. Parked in various places around town. And actually, that was the same year that the British Champs were in Maryville that year as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I was there. I, I mean, yeah. I, were you? No way. Yeah, no, so I'd done the season in Les Arts with my mate Toby. We had this tiny little apartment, like one room, that was it. Yeah. And yeah, we went over. My brother came over. I think he came and stayed with us first. And on his episode, we talked about it. he turned up with this brushy, like, you know, my dad's some sort of tax, yeah. you know, needed to spend some money and yeah. turned up with the brushy. And then we all went over to um, Maribel. And I got snow blindness on the first day and I had to spend the rest of the time you know, in a dark room. <laughs> Those nice. goggles that fogged up, so I had them on my head, and then just rinsed my eyes, and that's like sit in a dark room for two days. <laughs> Good times. Yeah. So you were there. Mm. Shit, no way. A couple of things I remember about that. I, I, I mean, I signed up to do the border cross, which is good crack. Yeah. Um, I remember going to the um, like briefing, which was in a nightclub. Called, I think called the Igloo, maybe. In Maryville, and we're going along to the briefing the night the night before the border cross, and it was Eddie Spearing was up like giving his old course he was chat about the um, you know where you had to be and, and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Being struck by the fact that he was the guy who was in charge of our sport yeah. in his official capacity, and he had a T-shirt on that said "I love Mary Jane." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God bless you, Eddie I'm, I'm in the right sport. And at the same time, whilst I was sat in there for the briefing, um, the I was sat at this table and the bouncer came over and slipped this little note. <laughs> and I picked it up and he said, 
You and your girlfriend always come into our nightclub and you never buy any drinks. Either buy a beer now or get out. (laughs) (laughs) And did you? I did. I sheepishly went over to the bar, bought a drink. So it was you? Like, he hadn't got the wrong person? No, he hadn't got the wrong person. Because we'd been sort of parking the van all around town. And I think it got to the point where people sort of knew knew yeah. what was going on. Yeah, yeah. And the next day, a sign appeared in the in the window to the nightclub that said, no homeless. <laughs> I'm not sure it was directed at me, but... I mean, living in a van and homeless are two, yeah. two different things in yeah. my mind. Yeah, I'd say so, yeah. But in a ski resort, that might equate to the same thing. Mm. Fucking incredible. So you got to the end of March. Yeah, so that was the first winter season. I'll tell you what happened... During that season, I'd noticed that there was a few season heirs there making money going to pick people up from airports. Mm. Like, totally on the black. Okay, yeah. But it was just at that point, I reckon that was around about the time that budget airlines were starting to um, do flights to the Alps. Yeah. And previously it was all package holidays, all package wasn't it? holidays, yeah. yeah, I guess it would have been. And it was just starting then. Grenoble Airport was really popular, actually, at that point. Right. That was where you could get your budget flights to. Yeah. Um, probably easy to get, I guess. Um, so that obviously lodged in my head. Yeah. So that was, yeah, I guess that would be the germination of yeah. what you've done since. But it wasn't until... I mean, so we started the chalet in, what, 2000, 2001 season, I think. Yeah. And I remember getting an email from you saying, oh, I see you're doing this. We, we're starting doing, a tra- doing transfers. And so what, what was the sort of, between that season in Maribel and actually starting Call Bus, what, what, what happened? What There's happened? a five, five-year gap there, isn't there? Yeah, there is a bit of a gap. Um, not an awful lot happened, ex- well, except me and the wife... Now my now wife mm-hmm. went away backpacking for a whole year. Yeah, um, I sort of got stuck in sort of dead end jobs for a few years, but knowing that we were going to go away backpacking quite soon, uh, and that dragged on, and then then we went away, and that sort of gave me a bit of time to think about what I want to do. Yeah, and then came back, and I bought a van and set to it basically, and I emailed you. Emailed Dave Park, Season Airs, and emailed John Bassett John Dragon. from Dragon Lodge. Those are Talking my... to John the other night. Oh, yeah? He reckons the clients he took, you took up to his place were your first, yeah. your first ever transfer. Yeah, yeah. They were, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, it was you three, and maybe Pleasure Holidays as well. I think probably you were four they? were like my, my first. Four companies that said yeah we'll send some work yeah, your way and that was all I needed to head out so, to the Alps right okay so let's get into it so Cool Bus was born to explain first of all go on so I mean Cool Bus is kind of quite you could, it's a bit of a naff name in a way but but a name's a name a name's a name but the, basically the first bus I bought was a school bus what that Mercedes? Yeah, was that it a had, school bus? Yeah, and it had school bus logos on the front. Right, and that's so that's where it all came from. My mate yeah. Daniel was like, "Well, you should just take the scrub off the S and the H, and, and it's school bus. There it's you, easy. Go. you don't need to do any sign writing. Just 
put some yellow stickers over those two letters and, and away you go. So that's where we should came give from. a shout out to Daniel King. Yeah, we big up yourself, Daniel. Yeah. A mutual friend. Yeah. Yes. Um, so carry on. So, so yeah, with the like, I say you, Dave Parr, John Bassett. So you were pretty confident, like with that amount of people you'd contacted in that area that you could start something were you legit when you started or was it just all like no because I remember my dad <laughs> I remember the, well, the same year that we started the chalet right I was talking with my dad about it and he just said just do it hmm. if you worry about all the legalities and everything you'll you won't do it properly because it'll be just a nightmare or yeah. things will get on top of you and you'll lose the initial idea so just go and do it and see what happens so is it a similar story for you? Very, exactly like that, yeah. I mean, I probably could have looked into it a little bit more and found out that I wasn't really, <laughs> I was well, operating on the margins of the law. But uh, yeah, just decided just to get on with it. I yeah. mean, to be honest, it's not a big risk. I came out, uh, I lived in Paisley at uh, Carol's Hostel yeah. in Paisley, which is like 700 quid for the whole season. For the whole season. There. Um, so cheap and there was like I don't know a dozen seasonaires living there all really sound like all all snowboarders yeah um, Wallace being one of them who's yep. a, a, another mutual friend shout out Matt Walker yeah. Um, so yeah the the actual investment and the risk wasn't very high yeah I, I bought a van but um, that's an asset isn't it um, and yeah that first winter was definitely much more snowboarding and less driving. Um, yeah. But that was fine for the first year. And then gradually, that, that balance changed. It was more driving and less snowboarding, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, I remember... I mean, you were always obviously buying second-hand vans, having to upkeep them. Yeah. And maybe this is jumping forward a bit, but I remember there was a point in the CPU car park where I was putting a new stereo in that van that we sprayed up with a digital camo. Oh yeah, nice. We had to go down a police station to explain what we were doing at one point with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's another story that me and Dave should have got to. Um, yeah, I remember, I think I was putting a stereo in at the CPU car park and you had the camo van down there. And you literally just finished fixing it and then you're like, right, now I've got to go and drive to Geneva. <laughs> and I remember saying to you, there's got to be a point where maybe lease hiring new vans would give you more of a life. Yeah. Where you're not just constantly fixing stuff to get to the airport to come back to then do more work on it. Yeah. Yeah, that was it. It was uh, the first, I guess, four years was just buying and selling second-hand vans. That camo van had like a machine gun yeah it was place a, to store a machine gun in it because you yeah. bought it for <laughs> but it was an ex-German army van yeah had machine gun racks in between the front seats <laughs> there was all these hooks around the outside to hang camo netting off um, it wasn't perfect for transfers but it looked cool it did look cool <laughs> um, so yeah that and a couple of other um, transports ex-taxis that I'd bought from Germany as well yeah um, but yeah, you're right. It got to the point where it just made sense to sell all those and get a loan and 
buy some brand new vans, basically. Yeah. So the point I made on the introduction is how many... Like, you had a core... But you gave the opportunity for a lot of people to do seasons, because back then it it was like, you're going to do a season, and to pay for that, you're going to do some transfers. You'll earn, you know, you'll earn sort of beer money, but that's going to be your thing. And Cool Bus had a core of people working for it who were insanely dedicated to the cool bus. Yeah, true, yeah. Have you ever con- sort of considered... Why that was. Why that <laughs> was and how that worked? Because there was that season where you lost your licence. Yeah. And some other guy sort of took on all the work and employed everyone, but, you know, it's not the same. Yeah. And, I don't, you know, I think everyone was earning less or whatever. And every single, I think every single driver was like, I'll stick this out because it's for Rob. Yeah. So have you ever thought about your, the culture that you bred within that and the fact you'd go snowboarding with it, it was good times for everyone. Yeah, but yeah. But everyone was really loyal. I don't know. I mean, part of it was all the staff we got in those days were all friends of friends. Yeah. Like we hardly had any people that we didn't know. Yeah. Just because that, that's how it worked, really. It's just how, how it ended up. Um, so it's a bit of that. And yeah, also the same. I mean, in those early days, we all lived in the same house. There was like eight of us living in the in the cool bus house, which was <laughs> interesting times. Um, me and Della living on the top floor and then six other drivers downstairs. Yeah. Yeah. I remember we got, uh, the, the, the breaking point was, uh, I remember getting in from a long day's work and I sat down in the, on the sofa and Della gave me a dinner that she'd cooked and Wallace and uh, Rich Dunning were playing wee bowling <laughs> and they were, they were pissed and Wallace just gave this, this bowler right <laughs> wallop span round and just sat on my dinner <laughs> was like Some, somebody's got to change <laughs> yeah. this is the end of this we've got to move out we've got to get our own house yeah. yeah, but it was that, was it? I mean, you... Yeah, I guess it was... I mean, it was a good business, right? Well, it still is a good business. But it was just, like, hanging out with your mates. Yeah, yeah. We'd all go snowboarding together. We'd all go to the pub together. And yeah. then... Yeah. And it was snowboarding, wasn't it? It was... Everyone was... Like, all your drivers were snowboarders. Yeah, yeah, true, driving. actually. Yeah, it wasn't the skier among them, no. thinking about it. Yeah, that's true. It's quite incredible that whole business sort of came together based around essentially a love of snowboarding. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just talked about the sort of season that you lost because of licenses and stuff like that. And that was obviously must've been a really difficult time for you. Yeah. But I think by this point you were like fully, like you were living in, you know, you decided you were living in front. I mean, you've made your life in the Alps now. Yeah. So you could be considered a lifer. Yeah. Was there ever a conscious decision like, I'm really happy here, I'm getting to do what I want, I've got a business, you know, did you make a conscious decision to stay there or did just sort of life evolve in that way? It just kind of happened really, yeah. I mean, the first two winters, well, I guess it was when Della decided that she, the first couple of winters I was working yeah. in France, then coming back for the summer and then going back out again. Yeah. Um, and then... Della actually worked in the mortgage business. She um, worked in a call centre. I heard, I've heard, I've heard. 
I've heard about her working in call centers. <laughs> yeah. Just trying to figure out a way to say that that doesn't she paint a really the, bad picture. She but didn't have the best telephone manner. She didn't have the best telephone manner, let's, <laughs> let's put it like that. Yeah. Um, and then it got, it got to a point where she just had enough of it. Yeah. Um, and I guess that was the point where, like, if she was going to move out to France, and, that, and I mean, I already had an apartment um, on the high street in Bourg, but yeah. once she decided she was going to move out, which is around about the time we got married as well, so that, that was it then. Yeah. Okay, a little aside, when you got married, you went on honeymoon to Las Vegas. Yeah. Didn't you get lost? <laughs> yes, let's just tell that story. True. Come on, let's hear that. <laughs> Well, we're staying in the uh, Bellagio because we were on honeymoon. Sweet. You might as well, go, course, might as well yeah. live it up a little bit. Um, and yeah, I just got quite drunk. I think there, there was a like a Madonna's album launch party in the, in the nightclub in in the in the hotel. We've been to that. It's really good DJ playing. Got really drunk, um, and then we left. I think Della had already gone up to the hotel room. Yeah. And these places are just, they all look, it just looks the same wherever you go. Just right. a wash with fruit machines. Yeah. Everywhere you look. Um, and I was just completely lost. And I was just getting more and more angry walking around and around in circles. Um, how, did, how did it happen? And I went up to the one of the bouncers. That was it. I went up to one of the bouncers at, at the entrance point to where the, all the accommodation was. Yeah. And started out going about how shit his hotel was. <laughs> No, you couldn't find anything and it was shit and he's like ah Mr Forbes we've been looking for you <laughs> yeah. that is an amazing a little bit embarrassing but brilliant yeah. <laughs> on your honeymoon yeah good times so I mean you've now weathered well you've weathered Brexit that's obviously had an impact on your business yeah and you've weathered COVID, which obviously had a big impact on everybody. Yeah. Um, kind of, where's snowboarding now for you? Like, what's... I mean, you've just driven over to go snowboarding for a day. You've just done an eight... You're essentially doing an 18-hour round trip. Yeah. And obviously, you know, I'm here and that's... I mean, that was the, the, that was the, the main reason. I really yeah. appreciate that. <laughs> um... But you've sort of made a whole life out there. Yeah. And you can go snowboarding probably most... Like, you can organise your work around, like, if the conditions are good. Yeah, that's it. I can, yeah, I can just... To be honest, most of the times when I go snowboarding, I'll go out at nine o'clock in the morning, get two hours done, and then I'll be home and for lunchtime and do some work in the afternoon. Yeah. So, but... Like, given that you've got a family... You know, and obviously being in the, in the mountains is now sort of the big thing in your family. You know, like your kids are skiing. Yeah. You're going up. Like what, what has snowboarding become like from what it was when you sort of first did a season and was staying at Carol's place and basically it's like hanging out with your mates, doing a fun thing, get pissed in the evening. What's the difference to now and what does that mean to you? Um, it's a good question I mean for I mean, me so I thought I've 
gone into this, like what I've realized is snowboarding was a way for me to turn my brain off. You know, like when you're doing something, yeah. I think Jeremy Jones said that there's, he used to make notebooks of like the ascent, you know, like when he was doing all his deeper and all that business where he's like yeah. using lifts. He said, you know, there's a million words I could describe the climb up and, but as soon as I'm strapped in and I drop in, there are no words. Yeah. And I really feel that, that, that I've realized recently that the, I went snowboarding because it gave my brain a rest. Okay. Quite yeah. a lot of the time. It was that thing where you get just to get switch off, whatever your problems are, whatever's going on, when you're hammering down a piece, it's all gone and you're just in the moment, your sort of reflexes are doing their thing and your technique and your muscle memory and everything like that. Yeah. And I realised that was one of the big draws of doing it. That's what sort of I found it did and I kept doing it because it gave me that sort of respite in my own brain. But obviously that's not the same for everybody. Yeah. So, yeah, just, just to sort of explain what that did for me. So what is it that snowboarding is for you that... Yeah, I don't know. I just find it doesn't, you know, it's not every day, but I don't know, four or five times, six times a year, six times a winter, there'll yeah. be, I'll just have that moment where you just, you're in, the conditions are perfect. You're cranking out some turns and it's nice deep powder. And I just have that feeling of just joy that just yeah. wells up inside me. Yeah. And sometimes I can't keep it in, and I just let out a, a whoop of joy. You do a whoop. I do. Yeah. And I don't get that with anything else. No. That, and I only get that with snowboarding. Yeah. Um, and actually, recently, I'd say in the last five years, some of the best experience I've had snowboarding have been out splitboarding. Actually. Okay. Yeah. Let's get into this then. Splitboarding. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what it is about that particularly during the pandemic yeah obviously the lifts were closed um but yeah some of them some of our best days were, were during that season it was it was incredible the, the mountains were completely empty yeah you, you know i might go out when the snow was good we'd be going out four or five times a week split boarding really yeah and it's only one run each time yeah so that's you know that's not even half a day of snowboarding on the lift is it five runs no, not but at all. each time was yeah incredible. Yeah, it's, I was I was talking to someone the other day because I've done it a little bit, obviously not to the extent that you've done it. But I was like, it's like slow, slow snowboarding. It yeah. gives you a lot of time to think about things and where you are in the environment. It takes you away from people. Yeah. Are you still like obviously with the lifts closed? That's a necessity. But kind of now that everything's back open are you still sort of getting a chance to split or not really yeah i mean i need to, i'd need to do it more it's hard isn't it when it's when you've got when it snows and you've got loads of powder it's hard not to just go up the lifts and smash out loads of laps isn't it yeah totally. obviously i mean why, why wouldn't you if you've got a season pass in your pocket <laughs> yeah yeah that's and, you, and you live there so you get a cheap you know your season pass is pretty reasonable isn't it i imagine it's actually no not anymore is it not well i mean it's still reasonable it's still good value but they don't do locals rate passes anymore that's not? a thing of the past yeah the it's, against, it's against the law these days what yeah nobody gets locals rate rates passes or workers passes anymore no way yeah but they've reduced 
the cost of a season pass. Yeah. So it's now cheap for anyone to get season pass. So okay. It's, it's still, I mean, it's still, it is still the value. It's 780 quid for the whole of Parody Ski. You know, that's, that's, yeah, that's still very good value. I mean, Parody I, mean, I used to pay 180 quid. Yeah. So that, that's too cheap, in my opinion. Well, we're sat here in Larks. Um, for the listener, my friend Patrick has come out on this trip as well, and he's bought a pass for f- five days, and it's like over 300 chuffs. Yeah. Which is essentially like 300 quid. Yeah. So if you think, like, if you're going for. If you were going, if you were trying, if you were going to spend two weeks in a resort somewhere, the same resort, buying a season pass would probably make more sense than yeah. buying a two week pass. That's insane. Yeah, it's not, still, it's good, it's good value, isn't it? Yeah, if you're going to use it for five months, if you're going to, you know, sort of three or four times a week and yeah. for five months, it's, it is good value. I mm. mean, how much fun. There's not many things that you could spend 700 quid on that's going to give you that much fun, is there? Yeah, really? true. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, to be honest, I'm really motivated this season to do loads of snowboarding. I don't know, don't know what's, changed. what's changed. I don't know. Well, actually, I was away when I was away with the kids. I was chatting to a, a friend of mine over the summer in Canada, and he's a year older than me, but much fitter, much younger looking. I was chatting to him. Yeah, I know. Bastard. Um, I was chatting to him like, oh, I feel like I'm getting to the point now where I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be able to learn any new stuff. And he's like, What are you talking about? I, I, I'm still learning new stuff. Um, don't be ridiculous. You know, you, you, just because you're 50, you can still be learning new skills and pushing yourself. Yeah, like, I think the perspective changes on, you know, sort of. Mentioning you were here at Larks again, we'd look at the super pipe and just think, "What the fuck?" Yeah, like, I mean, that's the different. Like, <laughs> I've got no level. interest in that, but yeah. I'm still interested in becoming a better snowboarder yeah. and choosing lines and just yeah, still having fun in it. Yeah. So and yeah, I'm, I'm motivated to learn new stuff, and I mean, there's still plenty of lines in Lazart that I've still never done. And is there? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, I saw that shot of you hammering um, the Combosier Coolwars. Yeah. There's actually no. James Phillips. But I, yeah, I was taking the photo. Oh, you took the yeah, photo. Yeah. But yeah, that was amazing. That was the that opening sick. week. We had loads of great snow and it was the first day that Clocheray had opened. So it was the first day you could get up there. Uh, yeah, a, that's... I mean, I was like, fair play. That's if the, you're getting at it the first week of the season doing that, that's yeah. incredible. That's the, that's the sort of thing that gives me that feeling when yeah you know you just can't hold in a a whoop of joy a whoop of joy okay <laughs> so if you were gonna if you were speaking to someone who sort of is thinking about getting into snowboarding or thinking about getting back into snowboarding hasn't done it for a while what would your sort of one bit of advice be or why should they why should they move it up their priority list what for somebody who's done it before and yeah, let's let's do it from that angle. Somebody who's sort of done some snowboarding but maybe hasn't been for a few years just because of, you know, whatever reasons, families, kids, yeah. money, whatever. I mean why should they why is it still so great? What's the thing? It's just really easy to forget how good it is. If you've done it before and then you haven't done it for a couple of years, it's really easy to forget what's great about it. And yeah. I, I find that every year I get so tied up with work in the 
sort of run up to the start of the season, yeah. all through September, October, November. I'm really busy. I'm working like seven days a week. Yeah. Um, and I completely forget what the whole point is. And then the first day I go out snowboarding, and I'm just like, ah, and then I get it. And it all comes back to me. And it's easy to forget the, the joy that it can bring you. So... Okay. Just, just uh, book yourself that holiday and get on with it. So first of all, yeah, thanks to Rob. He drove basically an 18-hour round trip to come and do this interview and to have a day snowboarding with me. Um, your friendship means the world to me, man. I really do appreciate you and the effort you've put into to get over here and do this. It was a shame. I couldn't make it to yours to do it and... Uh, I appreciate the fact that you came over here and we've had a great day on the mountain, a really unexpected great day. We woke up this morning and it was cloudy and it looked pretty rubbish and we wondered what we would get. And as it turns out, we've had a day finding kind of side powder. What do they call that? Not backcountry, side country, maybe a little bit. And uh, we bumped in, also hooked up with Tom Wilmot who's an old friend from Borg Samaris as well. So we sort of closed, felt like we sort of closed a few circles today. Had a few good turns in some nice snow and um, got some sunshine and had a few laughs and it was all good. Can't feel my legs now though. It's definitely out of the not match fit for snowboarding, that is for sure. So yeah, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. So at the top of the episode, we heard... Uh, Once in a Lifetime by Talking Heads, which was Rob's choice because he's one of his favorite movies is After Bang. And that will be on our YouTube. I think that's already on our YouTube channel on the Shred Flicks playlist. So you can go check that out. So, yeah, Talking Heads Once in a Lifetime. I think anybody from that sort of generation of snowboarding will consider that as one of the best snowboarding soundtrack tracks that you could possibly listen to to get hyped uh what else is going on the instagram is going really really well um lots of people joining lots of people following and getting loads of plays and watches and follows and all that kind of stuff so that's really cool you can find us at thank you snowboarding podcast on instagram the youtube is doing its thing there's some videos up on that we keep changing things that are on there so you can go and have a look at that um, obviously, the TSA still doing the business, giving you what you need, I'm using some Burton boots that they've provided me with, which are great, and a Jones jacket, which is absolutely doing the business as well. So check them out. They've been looking after snowboarders for a long time, and uh, they're who you need to see if you need kit in the UK. Uh, what else? Um, if you want to get in touch with the show to tell us about your snowboarding experience or what it means to you, you can. It's thank you snowboarding, T H A N K U snowboarding at gmail.com. Um, I'm loving all the lovely messages that people are sending in. I really hope that we're building like a little community of people around this. Uh, I've been rinsing the UK snowboard history. Um, facebook page as well so if you're not already on that then go and check that out there's a load of stuff that i've been putting up there but i think it's also inspiring other people to post old pictures or share memories and stuff like that and i think it's really cool so you could go and check that out too um we're going to hopefully have some more episodes from my time out here in larks tom wilmer as we've mentioned a couple of times 
the New Zealand coach that both me and Rob know from Borg Samaries. He's he's up for doing an episode. Uh, Leslie McKenna bumped into her the other day. She's got a great little movie called Thrawn, which is on YouTube, or you'll find it if you basically look around social media and you'll find it. Um, a really cool thing about her and her family and their sort of lives in Scotland and splitboarding and all that kind of stuff. That came out this week, and that's a really good watch. So we're going to have Leslie on. Uh, there's a few other people kicking around that we're going to try and get this week. And we've also got an interview with a guy called Oggy, who ran a shop called Lifestyle, who's really inspirational. I didn't realise his history went back as far as it does as well, and that's already in the bag. So, yeah, we've got loads of great conversations coming up and uh, stuff going up on the Instagram all the time and some stuff going up on YouTube. So hopefully, if you can, like and subscribe and do all that stuff. If you can leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast, that would also be massively appreciated. And uh, I think it's time I went to the pub. <laughs> Got to make the most. I'm being a proper holiday maker, going for apre beers and all that sort of stuff. And it's all the stuff that I never really did in my snowboard seasons because... I always had to work, come home, cook for cook for our clients and all that kind of stuff. So actually doing a bit of at prey is something I'm not very used to and it's a real pleasure and it's part of the joys of celebrating a good day on the mountain. So me and Rob and the rest of the Reason crew are going to go and do that now. So until next week, thank you snowboarding. Peace. <laughs>